0: Still on the throne. He really is. He really is. Well, we passed, passed through last year. I heard a pastor come across, he said a most unusual statement. When I first heard it, I said, What? You know, but you listen a little further, you will understand. It was the Christmas program at the church, the Sunday school Christmas program. The children have all prepared their parts and they had their pageant and the songs and everything and, and all. Before it all began, of course, the pastor stood up and welcomed everybody and the parents and friends that come to see the Sunday school program at the church. And he says, before we start the program, I want to encourage you not to keep Christ in Christmas. I got there to just like it got yours just now. And then he went on to explain. He said, a lot of people do just that. They keep Christ in Christmas and they forget them the rest of the year. They keep them just in Christmas. So for us, let's go on and keep Christ in our lives. January, February, March, all through uh, the year. And no matter how you look at a year, I guess you can look at it as a good year, as a bad year, whatever. Uh, and I guess so much as a matter of perspective. I don't know if I ever told you about uh, that fellow. He fell asleep on the couch and, and everything. And he was wearing glasses. And his wife was afraid that he'd roll over and break his glasses. So while he was sleeping, she just went up and slipped his glasses off him and put them on the table, and that kind of woke him up. And she looked at him, and she says, Honey, without your glasses, you look as young and handsome as the day I married you. And he looked at her and said, Sweetheart, without my glasses, you look pretty good, too. (laughs) So I guess sometimes it's the way you look at things, but I'll tell you, it always looks good in church, doesn't it? I I, I have wrestled in my heart. I've wrestled, you gotta understand, folks, preachers just don't have a whole bunch of sermons all just, oh, I'll pick this one, I'll pick that one, and this one, and that. It doesn't work that way. God has to move on his heart first. If God doesn't touch my heart, there's no way he's gonna touch yours. And sermons on something that's cold and calculated. I guess some fellows, they use a manuscript, they write it all out. I never really did that. So every time a kid, preacher comes out exactly the same way. But I thought, what Lord, the last Sunday of the year, looking forward to a new year, what do you preach on? I thought maybe preach on maybe prayer. You never pray enough, right? Never pray enough. I don't know anybody that says, that walks close to God that says, my prayer life is perfect. No. Matter of fact, the folks I know that walk closest to God said they need more help in their prayer life. Amen. I thought maybe a faith. Oh, how we need that. Don't we Going into the new year? We don't know what's before us. When the children of Israel are wandering, God says, ye have not passed this way before. And we've not passed the coming year before. Be all new to us. We're going to need faith. We sung just a few moments ago, "Trust and Obey," and thought, "Well, maybe something along that line—trusting God and obeying God." And so many things went through my mind, but then God showed me what I needed in my life, and maybe it's the same thing you need in your life. There's nothing glamorous about the message. Very pointed. Very simple, but yet much needed. You open your Bibles to the book of Acts, if you will, please. It's hard sometimes to preach on something that God convicts you of in your own life. Preachers aren't perfect. I know we have the same practice with you preach. <laughs> well, I guess in essence, there's a part of it that's true. But isn't it also true that we're all striving? We have never yet arrived. And so, yes, I'll practice what I preach. But like you, I'll fail. But like you, I'll ask forgiveness and be restored once more. In Acts chapter 1, the book of Acts is probably the most misunderstood book in the Bible. (laughs) So much is going on in the book of Acts, especially misunderstood Acts chapter number 2 when the scripture tells us when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that the power of God fell and all the disciples spoke in an unknown lang- a language they did not know. It wasn't an unknown language to mankind, but it was a language they never studied. So, and it's referred to, they spoke in various tongues, meaning various languages. Now some people just don't understand that part as- aspect of Acts chapter number 2 uh, there. But Jesus uh, uh, and, and God gave them the ability to speak in a language they never studied. They never knew. As a matter of fact, we know the 14 languages they spoke of. It's listed for us and people of the, the countries they were from. And says each one said, How hear we, every man, in the language we in when we were born? These are regular earthly language I don't know what it was I guess in today's terminology we would say Italian or German or, or English or French or whatever it might be we don't know but there were 14 different nations that were represented and each one heard in their own language the word of God and bless God the most important thing about Acts chapter 2 was in fact wasn't the fact that they spoke in tongues the most important thing was the fact that 3,000 people got saved yeah. People miss that. Oh, they spoke in tongues. i talk to some people sometimes to say, hey, What happened in Acts chapter 2? Oh, that's when the disciples spoke in tongues. And that's, uh, but they forget 3,000 people were saved. Not only were 3,000 people saved, but bless God, 3,000 people got baptized. <laughs> well, how, how would you like to baptize 3,000 people? Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, he'd come out of the water all wrinkly and pruny. <laughs> and you know all that time, three thousand people got saved. Not only three thousand people got saved, three thousand people got baptized. Not only did three thousand people get baptized, but three thousand people joined the church. And the Bible says they continued on in the apostles' doctrines and prayers. That gets me excited about Acts chapter number two. It wasn't the fact they spoke in any language. Can you imagine if you went home today and somebody that wasn't here uh, couldn't make it, maybe they were ill or something, and they said, how uh, Brother Susan uh, uh, do? No, be kind if they do ask you that. how uh, Brother Susan do? He says, oh, you won't believe it. You won't believe it. You won't. I said, what, what, what? He spoke in English. <laughs> no, it's what you say in the language that matters. But I said that because there's another misunderstanding in the Book of Acts, verse number eight, of chapter one. But ye shall receive power. But ye shall receive power. Did you catch that this morning? But ye shall receive power. Just as the Lord said it to those of that day, the Lord is saying it to you. But ye shall receive. How about your life? Does it have the power of God upon it? Does it have that anointing of God in your life? such a serious subject. And I thought, Lord, you know what? If we get that power of the Holy Ghost, prayer will take care of itself. Faith will take care of itself. Obedience will take care of itself. Vision will take care of itself. And it all boils down to the, not the presence, but the power of God in your life. Now, in John chapter 20, the disciples are in the upper room. And Jesus comes to them. And Jesus says to them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, these are two different things. Now, folks, when you got saved, the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit came into your body, and your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. Does not the Bible that what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For you bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirits, which are God's. And when you got saved, you got the presence of the Holy Spirit. The disciples in the upper room got the presence, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit into them. He said, he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost, and he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. They got it. But there's more to it than just receiving the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's more to it than just receiving that initial uh, presence of the Spirit of God coming into your life, which is a wonderful thing. Because later now, in Acts 1, Jesus said, there's something to come. Having the presence of the Holy Spirit was wonderful, but it was not sufficient for what I called you to do. And he says, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And that's what we see in Acts chapter number 2. Where we see that feeling, that anointing of the Spirit of God upon the disciples there. The presence is wonderful to have, but the power, it's like having a nice automobile. It's present in your garage, but if there's no power to the engine, what good is it? You can go out and you can look at it and you can admire it. You can invite people over and show it to them, but functionally, it's nothing. It has to have power to the wheels in order to become effective. Now, when we look at this passage of Scripture, and I think of this, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost come upon you. I stop and think, Lord, what about my life? Lord, do I have power with you? That's a sobering question. You could ask yourself that question, wherever you are. Lord, I know I have your presence, but do I really have your power? And in the Bible, there was a story of Elisha, and he had a Bible school in 2 Kings chapter 6. And uh, it was growing, and they needed to build some dormitories. So they started chopping down some trees to build some dormitories. And one fellow was chopping down a tree, and somehow the axe head flew off. You remember that in the Bible? You can read about that. The axe head flew off. Now he did a very, very, very smart thing. When he realized that the axe head flew off, he stopped chopping. He said, "Wait a minute! I lost something here." Now I guess he could have just kept right on whacking the tree, right? He could just take that axe handle and whack it. make a lot more noise. He'd work up a big sweat and work and work. I'm working hard to build. I'm working. But the cutting edge was gone. The power was gone. And I wonder across churches in America, how much power is gone. We make a lot of noise sometimes. We have a lot of programs, and I'm not against programs, and I'm not against a great time. And by the way, that song just, boy, ladies, thank you for singing that song. I, I, I told you, I, I, if they had kept going singing that song, you're going to have a problem with Brother Sousa. You're going to have to get some duct tape and some Velcro to hold me down. I was getting excited. Yes, get excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. But where is that cutting edge in our ministry? Oh, we could have great choirs, and we could have great programs, and we could do this, and we could do that. But without the cutting edge, what is it? What is it? So I want to speak for a few moments on the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine. Because I wonder how many sermons I have preached without the accent. I wonder how many Bible studies I had taught. Every Sunday school teacher, I don't know where you are, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but every Sunday school teacher needs the power of the Holy Spirit in their Sunday school class. Every husband needs the power of the Holy Spirit in their home. Every wife, every mother, every father needs the power of the Holy Spirit if we're going to be effective for the Lord Jesus Christ. Or we can plan programs, yes, and but sometimes we get it backwards. We get all our plans and say, okay, Lord, here's all our plans. Now, Lord, bless these plans. Wrong. What we ought to do is let God give you the plans, and they'll already be blessed. But we want God to bless our efforts instead of coming to him in the power of the Holy Spirit and allowing him to give us his plans. I wonder this morning, and I look at the disciples, what did it mean for them to have the power of the Holy Spirit? Because, folks, what was true of them is true of us this morning. Folks, you know me. We go back a long, long time, and I've preached in every building you've been in. <laughs> And you know I love you. And I would never say anything to purposely hurt you and certainly not to harm you. But I do realize that sometimes when, we, when a preacher preaches the word of God, it touches that sensitive part in our life that we don't like. You know, you go to the doctor for an examination. I got one coming up early part of next year, my yearly physical. And uh, he lays me down on the table after he takes the blood pressure and looks at my ears and everything else, he lays me down on the table. And then, with the most sophisticated machine he has in the office, two fingers, he starts poking me. This hurt? This hurt? How's this feel? This hurt? This hurt? And all of a sudden, oh, oh, hurt. It. Oh, oh, we got a problem. Uh, why, doctor? Because it's not supposed to hurt when I touch you there. Something's wrong on the inside. And, folks, when we get hurt on the inside and God touches us, that tells us there's something on the inside that needs attention, and we need to listen to him. What is the power of the Holy Spirit here? What does it mean to have the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, let me say what it's not. (laughs) It's not financial power. It's not how much money you have and how much influence you have for God. I know, folks, yeah, we, we need money. I understand it. We take an offer. We understand that. We have mortgage to pay. We have electricity to pay, you know, and we have uh, insurance to pay and everything else. We understand that we work to the ministry. We understand it. But God's work is not dependent on our finances, but rather is dependent upon his power. And sometimes, oh, if we the church only had more money, we could do this. If the church only had more money. No, money is not. The answer, here were a small group of people, 12. What did they have? What was their bank account like? They didn't have much. But God gave them power, not in money, but God gave them power in riches, and God gave them power in authority over the word of God. Notice in Acts chapter uh, 3, For the filling of the Holy Spirit did not end at the end of Acts chapter 2. It goes on in the ministry of these apostles, these disciples. But in Acts chapter 3 in verse 1, now Peter and John went up together to... Hmm, did you catch that? Peter and John went up together. You ever have people talk to you about personality conflicts? Have a preacher said to me one time in church, We've got to find you. we just have a Personality conflict, no. When you're both living for Christ and loving Jesus, there's no conflict at all. When both your eyes are on Jesus. Same thing with husband and wife. Now, you might have different ways of looking at some things, but you're one with each other and one with Christ. And uh, Peter and John, you talk about opposites, people. I mean, Peter, you know Peter, impetuous Peter, right? Lord, let's build three tabernacles. Let's build three tabernacles. Oh, oh Lord, let me walk on water. Oh, God, let me call out fire from heaven. And John, who was a little more serene, together. You see, folks, when all of us keep our eyes on Jesus, we don't have a problem with each other. When a family lives for Jesus, the young boys and ladies in the home live for Jesus. There won't be a conflict between mom and dad. And they went up together, the Bible says, into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom whom they laid at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. Beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. We're There was a man, he couldn't walk, he had no, no job, he had no income, he was a beggar. And at the beginning of the entrance into the temple, there he sat with a cup or something, and as people walked by and into the temple, he asked alms of them, who... Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. Oh, yeah, hey, remember these guys. Man, they just had that big church meeting down there with 3,000 people. They must be loaded. Oh, yeah, they had, boy, 3,000 people. Just, boy, they must have had a great offering. And, and expecting to receive something of them. And Peter fastened his eyes on him with John and said, look on us. And he gave heed to them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, such true words, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand. And lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Whoa! That's exciting to me. Would you give me some money? I guess maybe they could have dropped a shekel or two. And and you know what? An hour later, the man would still be at the gate. An hour later, he'd still be begging. The next day, he'd still be sitting there asking again. What he asked for was not really what he needed. You know, a lot of folks are like that. You ask a God, I need this, and God, says, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah, God, I need this, I need this. Sometimes we don't know what to ask for. I heard about a fellow here had a sailboat. He's out in the middle of of a great lake, I guess, and uh, somehow the wind stopped. Now, in a sailboat, when the wind stops, you're dead in the water. You don't go anywhere. I mean, it was like glass, smooth, not a ripple. They began to pray. It's getting dark. Toward nighttime, they began to pray, Lord, send the wind. Lord, send the wind. Lord, send the wind. We don't want to be out here in the dark. Lord, send the wind. Calm, no ripple, no nothing. It became kind of frantic. God, send the wind! Before they just gave up in despair and the motorboat come by and says, hey folks, you need a tug to land? <laughs> Hooked them on and brought them in. What they thought they needed was the wind. No, what they really needed was to get to shore. But you let God direct you how you get to what you need in your life. Instead of telling, Lord, this is what I need. Uh, Lord, Lord, I need a raise, God. I can't pay my bills. I need a raise. Maybe God says, maybe you just need to cut out your cable bill. (laughs) Maybe you need to, I'm going to hurt somebody on this one, spend a little less on pet food. (laughs) Now, I love animals. Don't get me wrong. But there are still animals. And I see these advertisements for gourmet cat food. My cat ate what I gave (laughs) him. She must have appreciated it because she'd bring mice to the door. So. <laughs> and sometimes we just pray the wrong way. Maybe it's not more income you need, but wiser use of your money. You know the anointing of the Holy Spirit will show you how to use your money? You know, God will show you the best use of your finances. I'm not going to do it here, but in the first hour I preached a different message. Some of you... We're there, too, and you come back for more punishment, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, of the things we waste in life, time being one of them, but money also we waste. Silver and gold have I none, but I'm going to give you something better than that. And you notice he didn't just talk to him. The Bible says he took him by the right. He did something. He took him by the right hand, lifted him up. The man was healed, and I like the attitude of that man. Ooh, he, got some, he started jumping. He never jumped before in his life. Ne- do you ever jump for joy? I, I mean, I, maybe some of you are just too sophisticated. Not me. <laughs> I, get, whoa, I get excited, you know. I get excited, and I can imagine. I can jump. I can leap. And know what he did? He went in to worship God. God's been good to you, and the lamest excuse. Sometimes we have to stay away from church, and he went in with them, leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat at the uh, arms, at beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at such which had happened unto him. He didn't need money. He needed healing. What do you need today? It may not be what you think it is. You say, well, I, I need a marriage counselor. Perhaps, but maybe you just need the power of God in your marriage. A few months ago, Central Baptist, as you, many of you know, had a, a marriage uh, seminar, marriage weekend. What a blessing it was. So, oh, your marriage in trouble? I didn't go because my marriage was in trouble. I come to learn more about how to be a good husband. And then my wife said so she could learn how to be a better wife. <laughs> <laughs> and that we could both be better spouses to each other. But one thing was pray- it was laid upon my heart, as long as both of us are seeking God, And getting closer to him, we get closer to each other as well. And that only comes one way. You can get all the advice you want. And I'm not against it. And if you get some help that way, God bless you. Do what you got to do. But maybe what you really need is an anointing from God in your life. And, and, And you see here, they had God's power upon him. Now, they didn't have a Dun & Bradstreet rating. I remember some years ago when we started our church at Wilkett uh, there uh, back in the 70s, uh, <laughs> I got a call from some company. Uh, that, I don't know, maybe we applied for something or other, but they wanted to know our Dun & Bradstreet rating. <laughs> we didn't have any rating of anything. I mean, we, we didn't have any credit. We didn't have, I mean, nothing. I said, Dunn and Bradstreet? I said, i would never been at that address. <laughs> but God's power is not in the money. I know, I know. People say, money talks. I mean, I don't know about yours, but mine says mostly goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to God's work, we need something beyond that. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. I know churches that could buy you out. I mean, they have tons of money. They could buy you out, but they're dead. There's no joy. They would never sing the songs that we sang. Nobody's getting saved. The baptistry is full of cobwebs. I'll never forget my first church. My wife will remember this. It was an old-time church. Started in 1924, and I went there as pastor. It was 1970. And I looked in an old-country-type church, and I looked, and I asked the preacher, I asked the deacon, I said, "Uh, where's the baptistry? He said, well, it's in the floor under the pulpit. That's how they used to do it back then, to make room. The pulpit was built up, so it only makes sense to put it up there. And there were boards. You move the pulpit and you lift up the boards. You learn when you're preaching not to jump too hard. <laughs> and I said, well, i like to see it. And he says, why? I said, well, I'm going to get, get baptize some folks. And he looked at me and says, boy, you're wishful thinking. I really didn't want to tell him the other truth. I wanted to see how deep it was. I wasn't sure what it would come up on me so we moved the pulpit I took the floorboards off my heart sunk Christmas decorations lights parts of Christmas ornaments sitting in the baptistry I said to him brother we got to clean all this out he goes why I said we're going to get some people saved I want to get some people uh, uh, into the church. I want to get some people following God in the waters of baptism. And he looked at me with disbelief. He said, Preacher, I I know you're young in the ministry. And I was. I was just fresh out of Bible college. I know that. And he'd been a Christian probably longer than I lived. But there was a baptistry full of Christmas decorations. He reluctantly helped me carry it all out. He says, where are we going to put the Christmas decorations? I said, let's not worry about that. It was the old galvanized type baptistry that they used to have years ago. And I said, why don't we get some rustoleum painted paint a nice blue or something like that? And, and, and uh, he goes, why? I said, We're gonna have, folks are going to get saved and folks are going to get baptized. Well, he helped me paint it. And as time would tell it, his daughter was the first one to get baptized in it. A <laughs> church had a lot of money. If the general fund and this is back in the '70s went down below 10,000 dollars, they got all nervous. Today, that would probably be like maybe 40, 50,000 dollars in the bank that didn't want to go below. I thought, well, you know what? We need a new Sunday school I bought our new Sunday school table. We put our new heating system downstairs and uh, dwindled down the general fund. In two weeks, it was back up again. Money was not the problem. The problem was all those years, there was no power of the Holy Spirit upon the congregation. They stood faithful to the word of God. They had the the King James Bible. They knew the doctrines of truth, and they stood by it. But there was no power. And I'll never forget that day when I got a sword of the Lord newspaper and I read a song and it touched my heart. I called my wife over and said, honey, would you play this, please? I want to know how this goes. And I said, God, I don't want to be a powerless preacher. God, I may not be the best one. I'm not eloquent. My vocabulary is limited. But God... I want your power. Church began to grow. As a matter of fact, some folks said, Boy, now nah, I used to come in and sit anywhere I want to. Now I got to almost like hunt for a seat. You know, we had a revival. And I asked God to save 10 souls in that revival. I don't know. I'm just a kid preacher. What do I know? I'm just going to ask God for 10 souls. We had God. And that was an eight, uh, no, Friday Sunday to Friday revival. And, uh, we had nine saved. Well, preacher, God didn't answer your prayers. I know, I know, but nine got saved. <laughs> well, you didn't get your ten. No, but we got nine saved. <laughs> the last night we had a baptism of those that were saved, invited their friends, their spouses, and everything. And that night, as I baptized those nine people, God him. God, I asked you for ten. And I learned two lessons that night. From the baptistry, I gave the final invitation. And giving that invitation, a mother of one of the children that were baptized come down the aisle to get saved. That was the, and I learned the first lesson, that God answers prayer. So preacher, what was the second lesson? Never touch the microphone when you're in water. I just touched that thing just to move it. It was on a little stand, and I just moved it. And boy, that thing hit me and go, woo! You know, you, talk about getting excited. I sure did. For <laughs> folks, we need the power. Of God. But secondly, the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about intellectual power. Now, I have nothing against education. I mean, I've had five years of Bible college and. You know, uh, two years of Greek and two years of Hebrew and struggle through English, I understand all that. I had all the theology and church history, I had all of that. And there are men that have gone far beyond me in education and theological studies and seminaries and, and all. But God's not interested in your intellect. God doesn't care how much brain power you have. You gotta have enough sense to seek the power of God. That is a smart person. Look at these fellows in Acts chapter 4. Notice what was said of them in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John <laughs> and perceived or figured out that they were unlearned and ignorant men, I fit that category right there. Unlearned and ignorant men, but notice, and they took knowledge. Of them. That they had been with Jesus. Has anybody ever said that about you? Has anybody ever said. You walk with God. Has anybody ever said. I have a prayer request. And I know you're a prayer warrior. You're close to God. Any people see Jesus in your life. Maybe that's why we have to have these buttons. And everything to show off our Christianity. Because it's not shown in our life. But they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. They were unlearned. They were ignorant. But they had enough sense to give their life to Christ. They had enough sense to serve him. And they had enough sense to receive the power of God in their life. That's a smart person. Unlearned and ignorant in the eyes of the world. This young young preacher was talking to an older pastor in a pastor's fellowship. We get together once in a while, and uh, the young pastor was complaining to the older pastor saying, "Brother, I get no respect in my church. I know I'm young, but they just don't respect me as the pastor. They just don't give me the honor as, as a pastor. I don't know what to do. And the older pastor said to him, he said, uh, son, you, do you have an office at the church? He says, yes, sir, I do. do you, is your name on the door as pastor? He says, yes, it is." Yes. Said, do you have any letters after your name? No, there's your problem. Go down and get yourself some letters and stick them on after your name on the door. Well, what letters do I get? Ah, Anything you want. So a few months passed and another pastor's fellowship and they meet up again. And the older pastor said, Hey, son, how's it going now? Oh, it's going great. My people think I'm the greatest preacher. They're giving me respect. I said, Did you put the letters after your name? He said, I sure did. He said, What'd you put after your name? It goes L L B B A. So what does that stand for? Looks like bishop, but ink. And I guess we can get impressed, PhDs. And, th- and, and, and I'm not knocking that, folks. But intelligence never takes the place of the power of God. The lowest of IQ in this room can have power with God. It's not dependent on how smart you are and how much book learning you have. They took notice they were with Jesus. You spend time with Jesus, it's going to show. I um, mean you hang around a skunk, folks are going to know it. <laughs> when you hang around Jesus, it's going to show. How much time do you really spend with him? How much time? God's power is not always seen the same way. Peter has worldwide fame. Stephen had the power of the Holy Ghost and he was stoned. And all feeling, let me explain this. All feeling is not the same. Not everybody needs the same It's not one size fits all. Let me explain it like this. Your pastor needs a different feeling than you do because he has a greater responsibility here. A Sunday school teacher may need a different feeling than a church member. But we all need it. Now, I have my car out here in the parking lot. I can see it from here, right there. I have a 19-gallon gas tank. I fill it up, 19-gallon, it is full. And I could drive quite a bit on that all across Connecticut, come back and forth over here at Harvest Baptist Church. That, that filling is enough to get what I need to do. Now, when I fly on a jumbo jet airplane, 19 gallons of fuel is not going to be enough. It won't even hardly start the engines and keep them idling. They need Well, hundreds if not thousands of gallons because it needs that for its task if I put a thousand gallon gas tank in my car (laughs) I wouldn't have any room for anything else but I don't need that and the same thing in your life your filling is proportioned to what you need at the time I was walking across college campus after I had preached something similar to this. I gave a series on the Holy Spirit on the college, Bible College campus. And I met a student that said, Brother Susan, let me ask you, are you filled with the Holy Spirit right now? I said, yes, for the task that I have to meet you and talk to you. Now, when I stand before the student body to preach, that's a different feeling because the task is greater. You understand what I'm saying on this? So it's not one size fits all. How one person is anointed may not be how you are anointed because he's got a different job, different position, maybe facing a different crisis than you are. But God's power is given to all those that will really, really seek it. You want God's power in your life or not? Are you happy and content with your life? If so, you're on dangerous ground. I never want to get satisfied where I am in my Christian life. I never want to say, okay, I'm happy. I preach enough sermons. My wife will tell you, I have dreams and visions for 10, 15, 20 years down the road. I don't know how long I'll live. But I never want to be satisfied. I never want to be satisfied with my giving. We're always looking for more ways to give. How can I give more? How can I do more? How can I serve more? And I never want to be satisfied with the anointing of God in my life, but always seeking, how about you? When was the last time you saw or wanted the Holy Spirit in your life? When did that happen? Have you ever come to God and said, God, I need your power? You think you could do it on your own? You can't. Folks, this message is hard for me to preach because you got to preach to me first. But I really believe it could be the keystone of the bridge of the old year into the new year. The anointing of God in our life. There's not a Christian here who cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible commands. I'm not going to go any further. I exhausted my time. But the Bible says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you? Do you want to be? You care to? You can, honey. Would you come to the piano, please? I'm not talking about standing up, jumping up and down, and shouting in the church service. You could do that in the flesh. I'm not talking about rolling on the floor and jumping over pews. You could do that in the flesh. But the work of God needs to go on in his power in our life. Now, folks, we, and I'm using that pronoun on purpose. I could say you. No, I'm including myself with you here at Harvest Baptist Church. We need the power of God in our life. I need it. You need it. And we need it together. we stopping it one. Maybe it's your pride. I don't know. There may be some here that have never come to an altar or haven't come to an altar in a long time. There are wives that are here that never saw their husbands at an altar. There are young people here that never saw their parents at the altar. Never having a heart soft towards God. But I will hasten to say this real quick. You cannot have power with God until you have the salvation of the Lord in your life. They took note that they had been with Jesus. Do you want that? Do you seek it? Husband, you'll be a better husband. Wife, you'll be a better wife. Sunday school teacher, you'll be a better Sunday school teacher. Deacon, uh, trustee, or whatever you might have here, be better with the power of God in your life. Stand, please. Our altar is open. God spoke to your heart. How many others will come and join these and say, God, I don't want to live a powerless life. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you'll never know the power and victory over sin until you come to Him. God bless you, folks. Yes, God bless you. If you can't kneel, that's all right. I understand. Then just stand to the side, sit in the front row, but just get along with God and say, God, I don't want a powerless life. I don't want to be a powerless Sunday school teacher. I don't want to be a powerless wife or a husband or a mother or father. I want and I need God's power of anointing. Gracious Father, I bow before you as my brothers and sisters are right now at this altar. I know, I confess, I need your power in my life. There's too much of Dan Susa and just not enough of Jesus. And I'm not happy about that, Lord. And I pray, God, you break my pride my stubborn will and have me Lord know your anointing Lord every member needs this not just for the preacher not just for the Sunday school teacher, church officers it's for your people children of God I beg anoint us to the task that you have before us. Bless these at this altar in a very special way. May they sense your arms around them. May they sense, Father, you flowing through them. And may they leave here saying, God, I seek, want your power in my life. In the name of Jesus, we plead it and ask it. And amen. God bless you, folks.